0: Welcome to the Measure Success podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategies Built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized organizations by designing world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. We're also excited that we've launched a course so we can help individuals in a group-type methodology design a three-year strategic plan. If you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to go to that part. And last but not least, our book just recently released, Lost at CEO, We've been extraordinarily grateful for the reviews I received, uh, becoming a number one Amazon bestseller in 12 different categories. I encourage you to go to Amazon.com, Audible, and BarnesandNo.com to learn more. Before we transition to our guests, we always like to do a thank you. And this thank you goes to Bill Connerly, very well-known economist, uh, one of my favorite people. We're going to have him on for our th- here we are first three-time person on the podcast coming up soon. That leads us to Patrick Galvin. So Patrick, him and I met recently as a result of Bill, and he's the co-founder and chief galvanizer of The Galvanizing Group, a learning and development company in Portland, Oregon, founded in 2001 with a focus on helping people build better personal and professional relationships as well as an accomplished speaker and author of two business parables, The Connector's Way and The Truster's Way. He also has an MBA in international marketing from Thunderbird, which is one of the world's top-ranked international business programs. He happens to be fluent in Spanish and Portuguese. I actually didn't know that, Patrick. And after graduating, <laughs> he worked for an industrial and agricultural equipment manufacturer, and you are cum laude from Georgetown University with a Bachelor of Science in, in Foreign Service. We could keep on going on, Patrick, but <laughs> Patrick, welcome so much to the Medjustest podcast.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Carl. It's great to be here, and congratulations on your new book.
0: Thank you so much. It was really fun talking with you afterwards, because I think it was literally like the day after it released that we just happened to be connected. And your words were really encouraging. Um, what you may not know, the listeners, is his books have had a profound impact. Um, sold thousands and tens of thousands of copies. And he's he's truly made it. What, what you may not know is most books don't ever sell more than about 250 copies the average that the averages, which means that the re- the reality is most people are like to sell 50 books or more. And uh, Patrick has shown that his book uh, has merit and weight and has been really valuable. So, so Patrick, let's go back to your business and and, and what you do day to day. Tell us a little bit more why you created that and, and what type of impact are you having in the world as a result of doing what you do?
1: Well, I started my own company 22 years ago. And when we were born, we were a public public relations company. And like lots of businesses, we've evolved over time. And PR really is about building relationships. When we started, we were focused on building relationships for our clients in the media. And then that whole game changed dramatically when social media came on the scene. Yet we wanted to remain in this relationship building realm. And when I looked at how we acquired clients, when I saw how my clients acquired clients, I discovered it really came down to relationship building. It wasn't marketing, it wasn't advertising. You know, those are pieces, but really the most successful businesses are those that build strong relationships with their clients, with their prospects, with their referral partners. And I realized I had an opinion about that. And uh, I wrote a book in uh, 2016 called The Connector's Way. Uh, It's a parable about building business one relationship at a time. I thought the rules were very simplistic. I wasn't sure if there'd be an audience Uh, But that book really sort of changed the trajectory of our business, got me out there speaking, was translated into Chinese. So Chinese company bought the rights to it. So this is a universal thing. I started giving a lot of speeches on how do you build relationships and uh, did that for a couple of years. Uh, And then what I realized is when you give a speech, you can kind of maybe kick off an idea in somebody, but you don't really give them what they need to cause that change to happen so we decided that we really needed to go in deeper and we started a coaching program where we coach teams of six to eight people uh, through a process on how do you build better internal and external relationships and that program took off it created a need for a online component so we created an online business relationship building academy which is part of the curriculum that we use in our coaching program it's also sold independently uh, so we are a learning and development company focused on relationship building. Uh, and when we started, we were thinking primarily externally because of COVID uh, and people being in a hybrid work world. We spend a lot of time now really helping companies build those inside relationships when people don't have the same opportunities they had before to meet face-to-face. So you've had a lot of pivots
0: along the way. And For sure. I, I love that. I love it how you... Ha- Figured things out. And I'm curious on that pivot side, when did you know we have to pivot or it's time to make a real change because?
1: Uh, You know, the the field that we were in public relations had a dramatic shrinking uh, that started about 2010 uh, when social media came on the scene and companies sort of thought, you know, traditional media is going by the way of the dodo bird. It's all our own uh, outbound communications, we can control our messaging, use social media. So there was a big contraction in the field of public relations. We continued, you know, in that realm for you know six or seven years because we we're a boutique agency, grew through referral. So uh, the business still is there, but it just got to be more of a struggle. And when we really stood back and looked at what we were doing, which was helping companies build relationships, I realized that we could help on a much more macro level and micro level at the same point. So helping individuals within organizations. And when you have the collective of individuals working on relationships, well, then the company is going to be better because they're building better connections with their uh, constituents. So uh, it was an evolution kind of when I look back on it, it looks like a grand plan, but it was more along the lines of it seemed like a good decision at the time. And fortunately, it was a good decision at the time. And you know everything that we've come up with has been to support something else. So I think it's easy to say there's a master vision, but for us, it was more of a, a journey.
0: One of the things when we were talking ahead of time, and of course, we're not going to name any names, but business is going great for you. Um, you, you, you're, sounds like you're near your peak and, and doing some of the best that you've ever done before, which, by the way, congratulations for, for getting to that piece. But you've been doing this for a long time, right? You know, the, the 22 years, that 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 is a true guide of a successful business if you've been able to manage it through that entire period. What are some of the lessons that you've learned to help make sure that your business is going to stay successful over that period of time? You know, what, what are the things that you wish you you said to yourself five or 10 years ago that if you would have put in place then, it would have made you perhaps more successful today?
1: Uh. So the relationship building focus that we actually work with our clients on developing at a much deeper level has been the success of our business, uh, focusing in on relationships. Uh, And that seems very obvious, I think to most business people, Uh, but it can be obvious, but not done. And a lot of times people put the cart before the horse and they start expecting sales and results before they build out those great relationships. Um, For me, just kind of a personal challenge is I'm a very curious person, so I'm interested in lots of different industries. Uh, And that's a good thing because you can learn a lot, but it can be a little bit of a trap as an entrepreneur. So I've run down some rabbit holes of industries that really weren't uh, ones that would have large potential for us just because I was curious. And in the last uh, four years, I've really focused on, you know, niches. Uh, and when you focus on niches, I've heard someone say niches, you know, beget riches. And I I think there's a certain element of truth in some mantras, uh, you get known and you get referred to, uh, folks in that industry. You get a reputation. People can be very derivative Oh, well, if you're working with XYZ and we respect them or know about them, then we feel comfortable working with you. I didn't really realize the power of that until we've experienced it in the last in the last four years or so. So I, I think a, a tighter focus on niches probably would have propelled us along at a, at a faster rate.
0: So the real, that, and I think that's really powerful and it's true. I mean, it's it's a it's a I agree. It's one of those axioms that it's it's commonly true. And the more you stay focused, the more value you create, the more you become an expert in your specific industry. Even if you truly could be outside of it, the reality is a perception and you continue to learn the language, right? That they speak. You yes. know, Everyone has their own industry language and the own, and the own way they say things, their own seasonal trends, you know, behind what's taking place. And then also being aware of what's literally happening in their industry, right? Their, their mood and their perception, like when interest rates just recently changed, if you're in the banking industry, if you're not aware of that, right? You know, that's going to be, a problem, right. You know, in, in regards to serving and supporting them. So have you been able to get to that point where you actually say no now to things that are not in your focus group?
1: Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are clients who are in kind of very offbeat industries that, uh, it would be a learning curve to, to your point, understand their language and their pain points. And if there's not that opportunity for, uh, repetition in that industry for us it starts with usually speaking so i have been a professional speaker for 20 years so i'll get invited to some oddball conference for some industry that i've never heard of and the amount of time that goes into creating a good presentation for that group is much higher because i don't know their language and i have to school myself so i don't embarrass myself and uh, i will turn those down or refer them to other you know speakers i know who are qualified Uh, So I think that's something that in my early days, when I was trying to figure out what our industries were, I would just say yes. And I think that's actually a good strategy for a lot of entrepreneurs who don't know what their market is. You know, I think you can limit yourself at the beginning of the industries we're in. Honestly, I didn't expect if you had told me 10 years ago, these would be our industries, I would have been surprised. So I think there is some serendipity that you want to explore in the early days. I don't think, you know, a tight focus when you're getting started unless you come from a really tight focus and you're sort of layering on top of that your whatever your business is. Um, I think that's okay. But if you're not sure, if you're more of a generalist, I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But I think you should be looking for honing and, and really developing a, an expertise and an industry approach over time.
0: You hit something really powerful there in terms of in the beginning, I think there is wisdom to being more open because you just don't always know where your product or service is going to create the most value. And, and, and sometimes, at least I've found, is that until you go into it, until you learn enough from the client, you don't necessarily learn to adjust your product offering. Like once you actually hear them going, well, you know, in my case, Carl, that's really nice that you do that. Like this happened to me one time, Patrick, early in my career, I thought I was going to be a consultant, like like in my 20s, when mm-hmm. I didn't really know much at all. And and uh, I always got to be careful about that statement. I, I knew a lot about accounting, but I thought I was going to be this business consultant. And people are, I put my two fingers up and like, you know, and quote, unquote. <laughs> For those beyond YouTube. <laughs> yeah, those beyond YouTube. And so I, I was down this path. But what happened was I found consistently that these clients all had tax problems. I was a CPA. I was like, all right, I'll learn tax. Even though I was from the audit side, I completely pivoted the business and all of a sudden had a very successful tax business. I think those things happen, right? As a result of learning, you know, being out in the market, seeing what's taking place. And literally, I just talked to another, for me, a prospect, almost similar situation to you, 15, 20 years in their business. And they literally just focused about five years ago Mm -hmm. on their market, because at that point it was pretty clear but they started saying no. And then when they did that, their business has really taken off like to a whole different level. And, and I, that's interesting, you know, in that process.
1: Yeah, it sounds very similar, uh, very similar trajectory to ours. So I think some people uh, get involved with analysis paralysis when they're starting a business or in their first year. Like I know what my market is. I know exactly what, I, what I'm going to be offering. And I think that uh, sometimes people spend, I'm I think planning is great. But I think that it can be a little bit of a trap because sometimes it gets people to sit on the sidelines too long and not take chances. And if we had not taken some chances and I'd gotten before some audiences that I'd never gotten before, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I think it's that balancing point, like taking the chances, exploring and then, you know, with an eye towards, well, this is really resonating. And to your point of your story about the CPA versus uh, audit you know, being able to tweak or pivot within an industry to really meet those needs. So I, I think it really is. Uh, I think being an entre- entrepreneur is a little bit like being a jazz musician. I mean, you can go into the set thinking, you know, what it's going to be. But as the set develops, it will change based on what other players are doing.
0: So let's go to, go to your book and and perhaps the first one. What inspired you to
1: write a book? Uh, really? Uh, my own story, and it turned out when I went out and was speaking to other people, it was a very similar story. So, you know, my background, I went to a great business school. I was a marketing guy, so I was in the marketing program and I came out into the work world and I thought, you know, success in business in terms of growing revenue is all about, you know, having the best marketing. And uh, I did that for a couple of companies and I joined my family's business, which, which, which was retail furniture. And uh, I thought I had the great marketing campaign. It was it was a huge flop, and I was humbled. And that started me off on research that ultimately convinced me that you know if you're going to be successful in furniture, or for that matter, most other industries, it really comes down to uh, relationship building. And uh, The Connector's Way has autobiography in it. It has elements of our favorite clients in it. Everything actually either happened in this parable to me or to one of our clients. And it's uh, an entrepreneur's journey to go from a belief in marketing advertising is is the road to success to a much more nuanced understanding through mentorsy means that, you know, it's about relationship building and it's about how you develop, you know, connections over time and how you nurture those relationships that really counts. Uh, so it was a cathartic experience. Uh, I started writing a book in a, uh, uh, nonfiction format and I pivoted to a fictional format because that's what I enjoyed reading. And, uh, I'm glad I did that because people remember stories and, uh, the, the book, uh, kind of opened up windows into industries and worlds that I, I I never anticipated. So I'm curious for you, once again, you're 15 years as a speaker, and then all of a sudden you
0: have a book that gets released. Did that change people's perspective or perception of you when you had a book versus when you didn't have a book on the speaking tours? Uh,
1: absolutely. And, and the type of book changed perceptions. So before I was like a business guy and I wrote a parable. So then I was a parabolist and. It's interesting. It's a, a genre, you know. Uh, there's a number of good business parables out there, but it's a it's it's a subgenre within the business field, and certain audiences really enjoy that. Uh, they want to be infotained. <laughs> they want to have. And all speakers should have that element of entertainment with information. But when you write a book that is infotainment, um, the expectation is that you're going to be providing. Um, presentations in a lively, interactive format with stories and what have you. So I was doing that before, but that wasn't kind of my brand as a speaker. So the book helped sort of reposition me in a good way.
0: And then you, so you did, now how long did it take him? I'm curious to write that first book. Uh,
1: Well, it took me about two years to realize that my nonfiction book on business relationship building was pretty awful and I, I it was so bad i i written about 20 pages of it and said no enough already i can't handle this and that is not good as an author if you're bored with your own book and then it took me on noodling, okay i'm going to write a parable and you know these are the essential elements and once i decided that it flew it flew out very quickly uh, in about 6 months uh, so it was a uh, it was getting to that point of realization that was the hard part it's interesting in our conversation we had previously, I, I don't think I was aware of
0: that because my was almost the exact same situation. I literally wrote a second book. I actually got to the edit stage of, of it where like meaning like not final edit, but, but yeah. near that point. And, and I was like, Oh, this is not the right book. I mean, yeah. I literally, I had that. And so I paused and, and then, and then moving forward, um, completely rewrote it into a fable like yours, you know, the, the more that, you know, that story type format, because one of the reasons for me was a book I read was The Goal by Elijah Goldratt. Oh, yeah, that's like, one of the classics. Yes. And it, it was like, I changed... Wh- for those who haven't read The Goal, it's a story most people think about um, changing bottlenecks, um, but there's some great analogies and metaphors and it's a really fun story of this um, bit dated just to those if you happen to pick it up and read it today so just forgive me for how things were in the 80s versus where they're today, if right. you happen to read it today but, but it was a um, you remember these stories, like people remember the story of Herbie, who's one of the characters and these bottlenecks, but there also was like accounting concepts around it, like how you do accounting di- differently. I was literally taking an advanced cost accounting course, a Boeing consultant gave me the book and said, you need to unlearn everything from this course and read this. Hmm. Super powerful, right? So it literally changed the way I thought as, as being a in, a in the finance for the rest of my career. And it's it's that's what's neat about Fables, right, is, is because of the story and and how when it transforms people's lives, you connect it. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, now I really get it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting. You know, we've I've had people say to me, uh, I've handed my your book to potential employees who I was interviewing. I said, and I've told them, read this book. And if you agree with it, I want you to work with us. And if you think this is just kind of crazy stuff and old hat, then you're not the right fit for us. And, uh, that's a great feeling like that you've, that in a story, you can embody like a belief system, uh, of a very successful person that you've never met before. And That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is, uh, that's an awesome story. I, it's funny, Patrick, I literally had somebody tell me that the other day. They were like, Carl, I met you one time. And how did you write this book about me? You know, was, that's exactly.
1: That, sounds- I love that. What, what, what a, what a kudos to you for, uh. For evidently, you know, really hitting on the high points of your audience. That's that's great.
0: So let's let's now in the business side once again. Here you once again, 22 years successfully have driven a business. How do you measure success in your business?
1: Uh the easiest way really is just we believe in measurement. So uh, for everything that we do, uh, our coaching program, we have an intake and an exit survey for anyone who goes through our coaching program, where we're assessing where they stand as a relationship builder at the beginning of the program and what the assessment is at the end. And those metrics, we work with a Fortune 50 company that really we didn't have metrics and they they convinced us that we could only grow with them if we did that. So we, with a partnership with them, we kind of came up with a measurement system for our coaching program, which was really good. Before it was all anecdotal and it's hard to sell anecdotes. It's a lot easier to sell. You know, they, they were this and now they're that. And then also just in the results of the people who do what we uh, teach them to do. So, you know, more activity and that's tracked. Uh, on relationship driven business versus just kind of the the stuff that comes in ac- across the transom. So for that, you know, measurement is everything For our online courses. you know we look at the reviews. Uh, uh, we look at what users say. and w- if we have like a one-off critique, I say, you know, don't focus on the outliers, but if people, if there's trend lines around certain suggestions for improvement or certain deficiencies noted, You know, take that into account, and the nice thing about online courses is you can update them and change them. You can create courses that meet demands as you listen to the uh, the clients. So you know that's an iterative process through you know the reviews and what people are saying, and uh, on books too. I mean, uh, you know, it's very useful to get that feedback. And as a speaker, I'm uh, you know also constantly reviewed. So it's just really being open to it and not stressing out if you get the one off negative. I think. Uh, especially in speaking, uh, you can get someone who just doesn't like you and you could look like their ex-husband or who knows what, you know, throughout throw out, the outliers. Someone wants to worship you. That's probably not a good thing either. So, <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of noise, I think when it comes to the positive and negative, but really look for trend lines and everything. And that's what we're doing in our business. All right. So now let's pop over to the personal side.
0: And i uh, always curious about high performers and successful entrepreneurs, authors of what type of habits have you learned to consistently do that helps you be at your best?
1: You know, it's really starts with the morning. Uh, so I have a pretty regular schedule. So when I wake up uh, before I get out of bed, I want to think about three things that I'm grateful for. Uh, just starting the day on the right note. It's so easy to go negative. If you reach for your phone, you're going to go negative because whatever <laughs> the new sites are promoting, and uh, not whatever, but usually it's something with a negative tinge. So don't reach for the phone. This is something that was really hard for me when I started this. And just think, it takes 20 seconds I'm, literally before you step out of bed and it changes the whole day. Uh, and then I flew from that into a, a guided meditation. I'm a big fan of the Calm app. Uh, it's one of these great, internet tools, uh, Headspace has a good one that I use for a while, but I like the calm one. 10 minutes of a kind of a guided meditation. Very, very useful to me. Uh, do some journal writing. Uh, a lot of it's about gratitude, but a lot of it is kind of what I'm excited about, what I'm looking forward to. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. And then exercise. So my dad... I uh, just turned 90. I was down in California. I swam with him and my two brothers in a relay on his birthday a couple of weeks ago. He's a master swim team member, so I'm a master s- swim team guide, thanks to my dad's example. Uh, you know, going to a swim team three days a week, and if I swim on my own, I'll kind of plod along. But if I'm in a lane with other people, it definitely speeds me up. So you know, I think. If you're gonna be great at building relationships, you better be in a good relationship with yourself. And these are practices that work for me. Uh, they're not for everybody. Maybe there's other things that people do, but I think they really folks, a lot of folks don't do the self-care thing very well, and then they struggle. If you can't build a solid relationship with yourself, you're not gonna be building strong relationships with other people. So I'm curious
0: what you talked about right there. First of all, I love that those practices that you do. Is that a part of your coaching when you're working with people in relationships? Do you you talk through those things? And like, even with your employees that you have or people that you work with, is that like part of what you say? Hey, this, this is have you considered this type aspect?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to learn, if you want to learn, teach, that's what they say, right? So if you want to follow these practices, it helps if you write and you teach these. So in The Connector's Way, my book about relationship building, there are seven rules. And the first rule of physical relationship building is nurture body and mind to create positive energy and enthusiasm that attracts others. Um, And that's sort of the overarching principle. And when we you know, work with groups and we do online courses. We talk about some of the individual things that I pointed out, but it's a huge part of of what we do. And uh, I feel so lucky that companies pay us to teach their employees to do these things so they become better employees and they're building relationships with the company. But at the same time, so many people don't do these things enough for themselves and the overflow of what we do to help people's professionals and how that goes into their personal lives is really the most rewarding thing about our business. Love that. I love it how you get to as said. I love it. You get to
0: get paid to not only help people with the interrelationships, but they're ultimately helping themselves, right? Absolutely. You know, once they once they focus on that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, kind of moving forward here in terms of perhaps and once again, I don't know how deep you want to go into it or not. As how, what, well, let me ask, how long have you had those habits? First of all, I love to how your dad is 90 years old. I didn't even touch that. That's, that's incredible yeah. in swimming. So that, that's awesome. And, but going further behind that, how, how long have you been consistent with your practices? Is this something that you picked up 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago? You know, yeah, when, the, when did you start getting good at
1: it? The, the swimming thing is, you know, the last five years before that, I was doing more r- running and more gym stuff. And I just learned from my dad that swimming is, great for the long haul i mean when you get older your joints don't do the same when you're pounding the pavement with your knees now, swimming is very forgiving you're basically not zero g but you're in a an environment where you get a full body workout so i sort of converted to that so i think i've adjusted over time the meditation thing I, I went to actually took some classes and that was challenging to get to the place where i was doing it and then when these apps kind of came down the pike, I, I evolved into that because it was easier to do. So I've been doing that for about a decade, but in terms of using the technology to do it, I'd say about five years. So I think you can have like the baseline habits and evolve with them as new ways to, to do them come out and as your body changes or uh, you would look to shake it up a little bit.
0: I'm gonna, this is gonna be a business slash personal piece that that be included in here. What what has been the biggest thing that has surprised you when it comes to relationship building?
1: Common sense is not so common.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So what do you mean by that? So give an example
1: of that. This will flow into um, a recommendation I'm going to have for a book. Uh, But I think so many people confuse uh, networking and connecting. And what really is relationship building? Relationship building is not networking. And a lot of people come into our programs thinking that we're going to teach them how to network. Like we're going to teach them how to go to events and pass out business cards and, you know, build a whole huge list of contacts. And out of that will come business and opportunities and what have you. And it's so wrong on many levels, but it's not, It's people can't be blamed for it because we don't learn relationship building in school. It should be something all business schools teach. But it's really not part of many curriculums in in terms of business schools. Uh, Relationship building and connecting is really about building sort of a deeper bond with that person. So going to a networking event and talking to one person and having a a profound conversation will do more for somebody's business than, you know, handing out 20 cards and working the room and being the blackjack dealer. And uh, when I say that, I think, wow, that's just common sense, isn't it? and you're nodding your head, I'm sure that this is how you roll, but you'd be surprised that the universe is full of people who are doing it just, they're they're expecting results without investing in the relationship. And that really is not effective. Maybe, you know, law of averages, you're going to hit on some opportunities, but for the most part, it's not sustainable. It's exhausting to you and to the person, people that you're coming in contact with. It is interesting what you said there is a a
0: commonality or belief that the numbers game works, but not always, you know, and and as you said, if you're not, if it's not your strengths and if it's not, what's going to be helpful to you, it's just going to be, you're going to need to take a nap and you're not going to feel successful, you know, through that Mm -hmm. process. And so, um, I think that's, that's very well said. So how turn around the personal side. Now, how do you measure success in your personal life?
1: that I have time to be with the people who are most important to me, Uh, that I have time to be with my family, my wife, my daughter, to go down to California and swim with my dad and my brothers, Uh, that I have time to get together with friends from college. You know, Once a year, we meet once a month, uh, that I stay connected. Um, The Surgeon General right now says the biggest epidemic in America is loneliness. And I think that's very true. I think if you look at the deaths of despair, you know, suicide, um, uh, drug abuse, alcoholism. So many of that's tethered to people not having connection. So I measure success to the extent that I'm connected with others. I'm deeply connected with others.
0: Yeah, oh, I love that. Great, great answer. So now one of your two books that you, uh, an author of, what is a book that really has inspired you or even perhaps read recently that you would recommend to our audience? Uh, it's
1: not one I've read recently. It inspired me to write The Connector's Way Uh, It's a book called The Go-Giver by a guy named Bob Berg. And I was thrilled that uh, my most recent review on Amazon is from Bob Berg saying, The Connector's Way is a great book. I mean, that meant everything to me. It was unsolicited. Uh, So it was really cool to get it. And it reminded me what a great book his is. Uh, He wrote a parable where the main character is focused on giving rather than getting. And the character learns that by putting the interest of others first, you know, unexpected returns are naturally going to occur. And that's really one of the points uh, of my book. And there's some nuances in terms of how we look at it and talk about it. You know, there's no, nothing new under the sun. So Bob appreciates that, you know, we are in, we are in the same choir. We're singing the same song from slightly different perspectives with different tactical ideas, but I love that book. And I, I read it a few times and when I was struggling with my, Unreadable nonfiction book on relationship building. And I had read his book, The Go Giver. It's like, I need to do something along those lines. So, uh, highly recommend it. I will go back and reread it. I've read it a couple of times. Fast read, good read. Um, have you read it, Carl? I have. Yeah. It's an excellent book. Absolutely yeah. excellent book. So, yeah, great
0: suggestion. Patrick, how can people connect and learn more about what you and your team is doing?
1: Uh, best way is, uh, via our website, The Galvanizing Group. Uh, if you type that into Google, you pop up t- top of the page and uh, it talks about our coaching programs, our online business relationship building academy, the the speaking that we do on relationship building. It's all there. Patrick, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast today. Thank you so much, Carl. Good luck with the book and with everything else that you're doing. You've got a lot of cool things in the works.
0: Thank you. Appreciate your support. And to everyone who's listening, once again, we appreciate your support of the podcast. This is free, free for you, free for the listeners. And one of the best way you can do to help spread the word is that that's our ask for you is like the go-giver we're given. We're asking that you give and do recommendations, referrals to others, because that's how we continue to get great guests like Patrick Galvin on our show. As we always like to say, wishing you the very best and measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.